Hi everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex this week, uh, following a, yes, you said it, yawn-worthy Spanish Grand Prix, um, but we've still got plenty to discuss regardless, we'll uh, talk about the race and some other news-making uh, headlines across the world of motorsport, and um, look at what was uh, what stood out for us in the sporting world in general for us this week, so... As always, I'm Jawad, joined by Baden, and yes, um, I pretty much summed it up with that expression, the yawn, that's how the Spanish Grand Prix went, despite all the uh, excitement leading into it, but uh, yeah, I guess we've gone back into Europe, it's the start of the European season, and we had a masterclass from Lewis Hamilton. Uh, probably inevitable, and as far as the race was concerned, it was one of those weekends we we're probably due for after such the high of the first four events this was more or less normal service and reminiscent of what we've experienced at least from 2014 to 2016 and it was Lewis Hamilton who as we always mention when he's down he's really down but he gets a whiff and he gets a, a fluke victory like he did at Azerbaijan and suddenly he's back into that untouchable category and he just looked like he was peerless the entire weekend at Barcelona. Well yeah he uh, after taking that win as you said in Baku we said that last week that with that mojo coming back to him could he have one of those weekends this weekend and he ends up doing it he claimed his 74th career pole position and converting it to the victory he said after the race too and this is a word that we used last week but not in conjunction with this but he said for the first time all year he's had a really good synergy with his car which I think is quite important too and we know that they've struggled uh, Mercedes with the car again at the start of the year it's been the diva that it was like last year but everything sort of worked for him this time and we'll talk about Pirelli and the tyres as well how that played a hand in um, giving the result to Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes but yeah it was you know, we're into the fifth race, and this was the first one-two that they've achieved as well for the season. So, um, considering, as you said, since 2014, their dominance that they've had, this is the first uh, race this year that they've had a one-two finish with Valtteri Bottas ahead of Sebastian Vettel. And you could say that they're much more wary of its competition now, so much more appreciated these points, critical, and, and Ferrari, I guess, this year, they legitimately looking on that constructor's side, uh, notwithstanding uh, some, some issues in the uh, the second garage there for Kimi Raikkonen. They were, they were leading the standings heading into this weekend, so they're crucial points, whilst, again, the Finn, uh, another DNF there and Vettel's own uh, issues with that pit stop and some talk that it was actually a necessary stop regardless of that uh, virtual safety car. They, they capitalised, and every point this season, uh, it's going to be crucial, and I guess for... For Valtteri Bottas, he'd be happy to have claimed P2 there, and he did as much as he could, bouncing back from from Baku, but he was never going to come within um, any a chance of taking Hamilton. He was just in another race. Yeah, he was basically in another race, and it's uh, that dominant a victory that, you know, only the top five drivers, I think, were the only guys that didn't end up getting lapped as well. So, you know, spare a thought for... Kevin Magnussen being the first guy to be lapped, or well, the last guy to be lapped, who finished in P6. But yeah, going back to Ferrari and um, Sebastian Vettel, well, you know, do you call it a blunder in the strategy or 
just um, the luck turned against them this time, uh, as you know it happened to Mercedes in Melbourne and in the subsequent races. But yeah, they put Seb onto a two-stop strategy with that virtual safety car coming into the into the race later on, um, and then also he tried to undercut the Mercedes guys on lap 17, and that backfired as well. So um, both instances not working for Ferrari and for Seb, and I guess you know you could say throughout the race. They both struggled, um, Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel, on the tyres. And I guess highlighting too, which has been a major talking point from the weekend, is the change in the compound. The fact that they've um, reduced the tread by 0.4 of a millimetre for this race, for the French Grand Prix and for Silverstone. And there's been a lot of debate that, you know, that's basically what's favoured Mercedes on this type of circuit and will do so in the future too but you know the telling sign if whether this has favoured them is not or not is if we come to the next race and the one after um, or not including France obviously and we see Ferrari better utilising its tyres then it's easily to it's easy to say that yeah you know these uh, tyres with a reduced tread depth is favouring Mercedes. It'll be hard to really read much into Monaco. It's such a unique circuit. And then we oh, get, that's right, yeah. And then we get to Canada, and that itself is a bit of an outlier, again, similar to, to Melbourne, but that'll be back on the, uh, I guess you would call, original 2018-spec Pirelli compounds there. So that wouldn't be a surprise to see Ferrari keeping Mercedes much more honest. But we do know Mercedes are lightning around that circuit as it is, so on merit they might already have the edge so it's going to be fascinating to see just uh, once, once the season's played out and we look back on those three events objectively whether they're the ones where Mercedes are completely untouchable yeah because I guess um, you know a lot has been made and then people have been denying and uh, adding fuel to the fire Mercedes of course Toto Wolf they denied that this was the case and everything and Pirelli of course too um, Seb ultimately came out after the race and said that despite that um, it wouldn't have made too much of a difference anyway on the day. So I guess um, all the testing mileage that they had pre-season and how strong they looked, they just weren't good enough on the day. So, um, and it's it's really interesting now because this is three races in a row that Seb hasn't finished on the podium. He he started off the season two back-to-back wins, and then from uh, China onwards, he's not been on the podium. And I guess it's not his fault. He's had bad luck. China with Verstappen coming into him, then Baku. We know what happened there, and then of course now here in um, in Spain, it's uh, yeah. You know he's got a. F- I couldn't believe. I can't believe we're saying this, but we got to get him back on the podium for the next race because Lewis as you said in the mind frame that he is at the moment and the way that he won that race if he keeps doing that and Seb's nowhere then yeah you could easily see the championship run away even though we're not even a quarter of the way through it. Yeah well Vettel at the minimum you, you consider everything playing out as though no incidents took place. Second probably was the, the outcome, or even first at Azerbaijan, second at China, second at Spain, had there not been these alternate strategy calls or safety cars or, or desperate lunges maybe onto the restarts as we saw at at Baku. But the, the reality is the, they've, they've had a gamble and um, you can't really blame them in the sense that they're being ambitious. It hasn't worked out and uh, it's not as though he's had outright retirements, so he's still well within touching distance. And we come to Monaco where last year Ferrari really, um, they, they 
we had it right from the outset. And if it's something similar this time around, then he'll be right back in the game. And it'll be interesting to see if Hamilton can be the one to optimise his weekend. Yeah, because on balance, the Ferrari chassis still appears to be the best on the grid. And what we're hearing too is that um, power unit-wise, they are basically on par, if not um, better now, maybe just by that little inch, uh, the Ferrari over the Mercedes. So, um, you know, it's going to come down to those little one percenters, as you say, and whether it was the tyres that um, put the ball in Mercedes court this weekend with um, the win, it all comes, we'll see at the end of the season what happens. And meanwhile, spare a thought for Kimi Raikkonen, who is uh, not... On, on Sunday, at least, he wasn't setting the world on fire, but it would have been another haul of solid points, and he's just continuing that trend of being the one who gets really uh, shafted at the end of the day, and uh, he's pretty much firmly now ensconced himself as that support. Any excuse will do for Ferrari, I dare say, to make him the uh, official second driver. Well, it's the second year in a row that we've seen him retire in Spain. I spare a thought, I guess, for that young fan that was seen in tears last year as well. This year it was Fernando Alonso. He had a young fan in the um, in the grandstand that got taken into the paddock. But yeah, Kimi Raikkonen, mechanical failure. It was um, pretty annoying, I guess, uh, considering... You know, as you say, those points are as important. And then what you said before, too, about the Constructors' Championship as well. Now, Mercedes have taken the lead off Ferrari for that because of that retirement that Kimi had. So, you know, Ferrari want to win both championships. They're going to have to get both drivers finishing their ra- finishing the races and finishing strongly. So, um, and while we're on Ferrari as well, they brought those interesting winglets uh, and rearview mirrors mounted on the halo only for the FIA to ban them for the next race so interesting concept that uh they did and i guess what that helped was visibility with uh the driver saying that um it's just better for visibility to have those mirrors mounted on the halo as opposed to having them on the side but yeah the fia already uh and the other teams they were quick to pounce on it and yeah it's been banned straight away at least they were given that grace of the weekend it would have been a fiasco well, it didn't if they make... had to rush in their original spec um design the wings in the, the conventional position overnight well it's not like it made much difference anyway performance wise but yeah i guess it was an interesting idea that they looked at and then it um you know i thought it wasn't too bad like considering the halo it's there why not utilize it for aerodynamic benefit <laughs> but um, apparently they can't do that i guess we also touch uh, mclaren with its own upgrades and also red bull seem to have a fundamentally new car yeah the more radical car for the red bull guys and then mclaren with a new nose as well and them saying that um this is the car that they wanted to start the season off with but they couldn't obviously with the um shortage of time and everything but yeah while we're on red bull so max verstappen claiming his first podium of the season i guess some uh closure after what happened in baku and daniel ricardo p5 a bit lonely you could say um but they had those string of fastest laps at the end of the race so he was pretty quick on those tires but yeah you know verstappen happy hunting ground for him in spain i guess more so than ricardo but um it's uh yeah it'll do his confidence uh well to good to be back on the podium yeah undoubtedly benefited there from both ferrari's misfortune and daniel ricardo that sneaky spin he had behind that virtual safety car or the safety car restart after that first lap 
carnage and he, that, all that talk of why they couldn't understand how he was so far adrift, it was down to that. And despite putting in those blistering lap times, it was indeed a, a lonely race for the Australian. Yeah, so fifth for him in the end, and we already touched on Kevin Magnussen having a very lonely race, two down in sixth as well, scoring another impressive haul of points for Haas. Um, I guess just showing that, yeah, they are the fourth fastest team, but it didn't really help their case with the fact that Roman Grosjean had another retirement to his name with a first lap incident at turn three. So what happened is that he just, I think, cooked it coming out of turn three, just spun the car and then tried to compensate and then created a big smokescreen into which Nico Hulkenberg and Pierre Gasly ended up being collateral and, um, yeah, as well as taking himself out of the race, he took two other guys out as well who could have had good afternoons. So I guess every race we're going to see some kind of sullen image of Roman Grosjean. This time he was sitting on steps or whatever with his helmet on. Baku was the same, Australia. Yeah. So no points still for Grosjean and I guess it doesn't help his case going forward. Yeah, it's uh, hard to believe. Haas has regressed back to being a single car operation as they were in. 2016 only in that case Grosjean was their driver and now it's as though he he's just there for some kind of reference point and and Kevin Magnussen for all the talk of his recklessness he's accumulating very handy points and the Frenchman he's just looking more and more out of his depth by the weekend and it doesn't help that that speculation in tandem with Charles Leclerc there he's picked up a another Another point he did to compliment sixth at uh, Baku, that, that really puts him in that equation for a promotion to, to Haas before this inevitable Ferrari berth, you think, in the next year or two. Yeah, um, we'll talk about Leclerc a bit later, but going back to Grosjean, um, you know, Magnussen, I guess you could say, he is a bit hectic with his driving, but it's controlled chaos because he knows how to get the result out of there, which is the important thing. And again, another solid drive for him. And, you know, while we're on the subject of Magnussen, it's great because this is the first time in his F1 career that he's been at the same team for a second season too. So um, he's fit in there nicely. But yeah, with Grosjean, who knows what's going on? It's just, yeah, lack of confidence maybe, or just feeling shown up by Magnussen's presence there. I mean, this. Magnussen, the way he's driving the car, it doesn't seem like there's any inherent problems, but for Grosjean, it feels that way. So, yeah, it's an interesting thing, and, you know, it probably will end up being his last season there. So we just hope that he can score some points as soon as possible to try and save it. Yeah, I think he's just feeling that pressure, all that talk when he did join Haas in 2016 of a, a launching pad to Ferrari, and that doesn't seem like it's going to eventuate oh, in any circumstance. far from so. that now. So, um, you know, what's his name? Uh, someone like Sergio Perez probably has more chance of getting a Ferrari gig before um, Roman Grosjean at this stage. But, yeah, it's just uh, not great to see considering he was a quick driver um, but just never really honed his craft, it seems. So it's, uh, yeah, just disappointing. But more on Grosjean anyway when we get closer to Monaco and then, of course, his home Grand Prix uh, in France, um, which he'll get to at least contest. So uh, it was a battle of the Spaniards, I guess, further down. We saw Carlos Sainz finish seventh over Fernando Alonso um, fighting with the likes of Perez as we said before and Charles Leclerc too and you were pretty glowing of Leclerc um, after the race in your article that you wrote and the fact that he had Alonso's measure for the early part of the race just demonstrated that maturity and everything as well 
considering Leclerc had a bit of a slow start to the season. I mean, I wouldn't beat up on him too much for that, given that he's a rookie and all. But um, yeah, as you said, Baku finishing sixth, and then of course, uh, uh, a point again here. And I think this is the first time that Sauber's had back-to-back points um, since 2015 or so. So it's positive for them and uh, positive for Leclerc. Yeah, you'd say arguably a more impressive solitary point here when the there wasn't that uh, stroke of luck in the, the dying stages that uh, Armageddon we had at Baku. So I think this one's really hard fought and just gives him that belief that on a consistent basis he can make the most of opportunities and he didn't look out of his depth at all against the, the esteemed likes of Alonso and, and Perez and he, he knows exactly where to to choose his fights. Yeah, so great to see from Leclerc and, you know, I guess his his home Grand Prix next proper being Monegasque driver Monaco Grand Prix. So, you know, hopefully he'll be looking to score points three races in a row with all the carnage that happens there normally. So along with Kimi, though, there was another string of um, mechanical failures. We had Stoffel Van Dorn, unfortunately, pull over to the side of the track on the pit straight um, later in the race, and then Esteban Ocon as well. He's had two races in a row now. He's retired. You know, he hadn't had a single race retirement until Brazil last year, and now in the, I guess, uh, what do you call it, in the string of few races, he's had three, so it's um, not going too well for him, and uh, yeah, you know, going back to what we said about Kimi, that's the second year in a row that he's uh, retired in uh, Barcelona. Yeah, I think uh, for Van Dorn, it's just become a labour of frustration as he sees uh, Fernando Alonso, all the talk of McLaren's crisis, the Spaniard is uh, registered points every weekend and Stoffel Van Dorn's just picked up a point here and there but he's clearly going to be getting impatient soon and for Esteban Ocon it's just a, a sign of Force India, they're clearly uh, not where they want to be and uh, that, that podium fortuitous at Baku and uh, I guess Perez doing alright there to pick up a, a couple of points but on the whole, there's there's quite a few teams there that are still really struggling in the reliability stakes. Yeah, exactly. So after all the upgrades this weekend as well, um, we'll finally get a proper picture of what the grid looks like. Yeah, as you said, Monaco is not really representative, but like these are the key races now. Being back in Europe and everything, you can get more upgrades on the car. We'll get a better idea. So um, it'll be interesting to see how those next few races pan out. But um to conclude, I guess, yeah, 17-point lead in the championship for Lewis Hamilton now. Seb off the podium for a third race running. And who would have said this when we had Seb win two races in a row, Australia and Bahrain, and had that lead over Hamilton. And now not being on the podium for three races has cost him. And, you know, I dare say if after the next race it becomes a 25-point lead in the championship, then things are looking pretty sticky for Seb. Oh, a long way to go, not even a quarter of the way through the season. And we did see, I guess, last year, Vettel held that commanding lead at the midway point of the season. Hamilton got on his run, and that was the end of the story, essentially. So I think there's plenty of time, at least from this position, for Vettel to turn it around. If he was if he was in this little trough uh, where he's doing very little wrong, it must be said, unlike last season when he had a bit of a an implosion alongside Ferrari, there'd be concern, but um, it's not reaching any kind of critical point just yet. Yeah, I guess that's true, but also just it's hard not to have that air of um, caution about you considering how close they've come in the past years and not executed. So, you know, every little 
facet is going to be micromanaged and every time they make a mistake even though it's not significant will be scrutinized so it's it's just very difficult because you've you know they've come close last year they had it as you said at the midway point but then after Italy after Belgium and then Singapore the chaos it just that was it it was gone so half a year's work you know basically gone in two races so that's the thing we don't want to happen this year for Ferrari and for Sebastian Vettel and yeah they lead the constructors championship too now Mercedes over Ferrari and I guess that's because Kimi's retirement so um, that's all she wrote there in Spain but um, drivers of the day hard to go past Leclerc then isn't it because you were pretty glowing of him after the race in that article um, I'm of the same view that yeah you know perhaps next year we'll see him in a Haas or perhaps another year at Sauber if the car is getting better there and then perhaps 2020 or 2021 that Ferrari gig will come yeah Leclerc certainly is probably just about the worthy winner there we've got to say Lewis Hamilton as much as we might deride him uh, more often than not he drove a race where nobody could get near him and credit to him I guess he showed that um, when he's on um, really uh, he's just taking it to a, a level that very few are able to to ever find at any time so that's why he's uh, still really the best in in the business across a a weekend when he's got everything working for him but for Leclerc from that point of view of uh, what he's dealing with and the Sauber where we saw him uh, Australia and the talk of them being lucky to even get in the points at any stage that's now three races collectively that the Saubers have have brought it home inside the top 10 and um, it's just a promising sign and I guess another um, admonishment on Williams who um, they had their own nightmare weekend. Oh yeah we'll get straight into Williams a bit later but I have to say um, I've got to dock a few points off Lewis Hamilton just for that haircut or whatever that we that we saw yeah, on the weekend you know there. yeah nothing should... about his off track thing that we're uh, digging <laughs> it's more so he's he's on track it was just uh, really it was on one of those there should be a, there, there should there should be a fine so. for that i reckon it was some aerodynamic benefit that he got <laughs> yeah that ponytail that has no place in f1 oh it's just um he always brings a surprise doesn't he lewis hamilton anyway um let's go over the digest now and um I guess the big thing coming out of the weekend in regards to Williams is that we had Robert Kubitzer contest his first FP1 session since he made his F1 return last year. And um, he didn't have a lot of good things to say about the Williams. And let's just put it simply as the fact that the car is not enjoyable to drive in his own words. And um, we've talked about it all season so far. um, And the fact that, you know, you could put Lewis Hamilton in the car, as Claire Williams herself said, and he wouldn't still be able to win in it. So, yeah, it shows you where Williams are at. It is fundamentally they they took a misstep with that direction, and it's just more inexplicable to see from where they are at last season. They they weren't um, setting the world on fire, but they were still picking up some some handy points, and they've got what you would call, I guess, Lance Stroll. He's shown flashes of potential and even even must be said he had a pretty decent Sunday after that real messy off he had on on the Saturday and they just clearly got a car there that's really hard for anyone to get behind and feel confident and for Kubica it might have been lost a little in translation that that translated Polish quote that it was embarrassing might have meant more so the fact that he just found it 
not enjoyable per se rather than rubbishing that opportunity that he had and the, the occasion it was just to see him compete in a in any respect of a Grand Prix weekend, which was something in itself, but it, it wasn't really the spectacle everyone had been looking to Whoa. when he first really came back into that equation about a year ago. Well, it's not really. We weren't expecting him to set the world on fire, but the fact that they were that was his comments afterwards that, um, yeah, it just gives you a true indication that this car is an absolute dog. Um, you know, we beat up on or everyone beats up on Stroll and um, Sirotkin for not being really good references as far as development is concerned. I guess there should be no excuses for Stroll being in his second season to start giving references and helping in development. But yeah, for someone as experienced as Kubica, um, for him to say that, yeah, that foundation isn't really good, um, you know, there's a lot of development to go on there and whether they can sustain it will be another question, I guess. Yeah, I think this year, as we've mentioned, I think every edition is a write-off and they, they picked up some some handy points. Not that it's really done much for them in the constructors at Baku, but uh, it's hard to see them troubling the scorers without that kind of attrition uh, anytime soon. Yeah, exactly. So we'll move it on anyway. We talk about Williams all the time, it seems, but it's hard not to considering the prestige of that team and seeing them in the doldrums it's just not acceptable for formula one standards but anyway moving across to indycar actually and uh aussie willpower won penske their 200th indycar race over the weekend um at the indianapolis grand prix so the month of may of course upon us with the indy 500 being the jewel in the crown um next week and also they have that uh, the traditional race before the indy 500 which is done on that grand prix layout and willpower taking home the uh, champagne for Team Penske. But um, while we're on the topic of IndyCar, there was a lot of um, rumours coming out after the Barcelona weekend about McLaren perhaps uh, firming up for a full-time IndyCar uh, berth next season. Um, They did discuss the fact that they want to... They're looking at um, LMP1 as well for the future. Um, And this was said recently too. We know that... Last year when they did go over to Indy uh, and when Zach Brown first took over the team that he wanted to uh, get back into Le Mans and take McLaren to IndyCar as well. But the fact that it's starting to shore up now or we're so led to believe, um, what are your thoughts then? Yeah, well, McLaren clearly... uh that realisation since the uh, separation from Honda that things aren't as rosy as they would have hoped for is certainly an improvement, but nowhere near where they want to be. You can see that they've got to assess options just to get them some positive publicity and whether that takes um, entering these other categories, they, they have to be a bit ambitious there and uh, obviously the commitments that are made, it's going to be a, a lot of resources, but if they can have someone like uh, Alonso guarantee their future, his future in this case to the outfit, then they've got something to work with and really justify it and know they're going to go there with, with a really credible driver who can immediately get behind the wheel and they already know from what he did last year at Indy that he'll be competitive from the outset. Well, yeah, it was really good to see last year, of course, as well that, and we won't see him there this year. But um, going back to what you were saying, that uh, just... In general, the fact that they're not getting the results they want in F1, so can we go into other categories and uh, be successful, you know, to try and take that negative uh, spotlight away? And I guess there was that talk too um, from certain Spanish press that Alonso would 
be uh, not with McLaren in F1 next year as well. So perhaps what if um, they go over to IndyCar full-time and he leads that, um, what do you call it, that operation over there in America? That could be a possibility too. But a lot of speculation, I guess. But um, yeah, plenty of time to see this thing play out. Yeah, I dare say, again, Alonso will dictate a lot of its future direction. If he can commit to it, then they'll move forward. And without him, it might be hard to see it coming to pass. Yeah, exactly. But it would be great to see McLaren at somewhere like Le Mans, I guess, Indy as well. Imagine if at uh, at Le Mans they created the McLaren dream team or whatever of drivers. You have Alonso, get Jensen Button in there, and maybe Montoya as well, (laughs) former McLaren driver. So... After I guess the way he fell out when he uh, left the the F1 team because he had a few too many burgers and whatnot, <laughs> you could say that would be some return. Yeah, well, maybe in, in that respect, Nigel Mansell could even be invited back because there's no more Ron Dennis there. And I guess the one thing as well I heard too over the weekend that Martin Whitmarsh was present in the paddock for the first time since... Uh, he was uh, ousted from his Some role at McLaren's. Yeah, so um, Whitmarsh for the first time coming back, perhaps signalling that there's a bit of happiness and a bit of harmony there at McLaren, he, and he's welcome back. So who knows, all those McLaren rejects from the past might end up finding their way back. So yeah, you know, you could have Mansell and Montoya in there together, the uh, cheeseburger duo. Come full circle, you know, those things always seem to have a way of working out, don't they? <laughs> exactly. So. You would have thought Alonso, again, would have been back at McLaren all these years ago. Yeah, but, now but, he's in his, his fourth season in his second tenure. Yeah, but also it's weird because Ron Dennis brought him back in the first place, so I would have thought it was after Ron that he would come back. But anyway, moving it on. Um, technical issues hamper, hampered the uh, debut of the F1 live streaming service, and I guess... The big question mark is on the word expected. Was Did we expect it? Yes, we did, considering how quickly they've rolled this service out. But at the same time, as much as people are, be, are beating up on them, we've got to applaud them for the fact that they've, in such a short amount of time, actually organised this all and are rolling it out. And it just goes to show you that, yeah, they've got that intent to make this thing work for the future. And even though it's not available everywhere just yet... Um, you know, to lay down the platform and start the service, it's really positive, I think, we have to take away from this. Oh, in the first instance, just having its availability, it's a huge step forward on uh, really any time before Liberty um, took over the sport and it is quite inevitable that there are these launch issues and they did delay from Australia's planned launch and it'd be fair to say we've got to give them the balance of this season to iron out those bugs and then probably 2019 there would be an expectation that you've got a near flawless service but as far as it uh, becoming available globally um, once all the uh, the respective contracts end which is still for some countries not least the UK six years away you'd think that they're going to have a world-class service by that point. Yeah definitely and it's As I said, you know, even though it was met with negativity over the weekend because of those failures, I think overall it's it's really positive that they've got this going. And we saw too that they've brought back that F1 fan vision thing as well, the handsets that you can get trackside and then trackside the experience as well. They launched that uh, mega store as well, which there's a one-stop shop for all your F1 merchandise. And then of course with the with the television product itself you've got um they've changed the interviews as well having interviews 
with the top three drivers straight after the race in Park Ferme. I guess a few people are a bit lukewarm about that, but, you know, Ross Braun saying that he wants to capture that emotion straight after the race and everything. And you see they do it in supercars as well, you know, straight after the cars rock up in Park oh, Ferme, the interview, and MotoGP too. So, you know, it's um it's been done well, in other motorsports. Well, in IndyCar, you look at them, they've got them in the cockpit as they put their visor up there straight in their face. So yeah, so, away the you know, trying to get that emotion straight away and then of course talking about graphics as well the um uh utilization of the halo you could say for the the speed graphic or whatever so i guess that's another innovative thing that they've thought of and ross braun saying yeah the halo might be an eyesore to look at on tv but we're going to try and make it um uh more attractive by putting some graphics on there to at least be informative as well and to be fair, the halo after five races, it's become quite obscure instead of that that torque that it would stick out like a sore thumb. It's really just, it's not become something that you'd call accepted, but it's certainly well, not taken away from the spectacle of well, the, during the, the formula, Well, during one of the Formula 2 races over the weekend, it was said that um, you know, one of the crashes that happened, that the halo did its job and protected the driver's head, basically. So I guess they'll hail it there. And yeah, of course, the halo making its debut in F3, F2 sorry, this year as well with that new chassis that they've got. So, yeah, you know, as we said at the start of the year, perhaps, you know, after the first race, we're not really going to pay much attention to it. But I guess if you want to analyse what the cars look like and everything, then definitely, yeah, they don't look as attractive as they might have a couple of years ago. But certainly it's not a, um, as you say, a sore sticking out like a sore thumb. No, not everything's going to be adored universally and some things are, I guess, for, for the better of the sport. And on that one, you hope there'll be a better alternative sooner than later but at least for now um, it hasn't gotten in the way of some some great racing and spain just happened to be one of those races where th- there wasn't too much to oh, discuss. Well, just blame it on the halo it's the <laughs> halo's fault that you know we had a crap race in spain anyway uh felipe massa who was present in spain of course um happily enjoying retirement will be coming out of retirement uh and getting onto the formula e grid next season with the three-year deal with the venturi team so you know he alluded to this ages and ages ago while he was still in F1, that if he ever retires from F1, he would look at other categories like Formula E. And I guess Formula E gets another um, a big name to its roster as well, which is good. I guess he'll be there alongside Luca de Grassi, his fellow Brazilian, and also the Formula E champion too, and uh, plenty of ex-F1 oh, alumni. Jean-Éric Verne, Nelson Piquet, Buemi, yeah, so a lot of those... Dare, dare we say, it's... Uh, an outside chance now, but with the recent investment into the, the sport, Nico Rosberg could yet um, turn his heel into Formula E, especially if Mercedes were to become Yeah, involved. so um, plenty of drivers being attracted to there, but I'll talk a bit about a Formula E actually in part of our discussion a bit later anyway, um, what we're going to talk about. But uh, yeah, I guess just another big name to add to the grid and to round up, I guess, here, uh, the F1 2018 video game has a release date. It'll be coming out um, on the weekend of the Spa grand prix on august the 24th so we look forward to that even though i haven't gone past the first race yet on 2017 
So I better get back into it and finish that career mode before um, this one comes out because I remember last year, I, I think within, within a week or a couple of days, I crammed the entire career mode or at least one season's worth of it into like one week before F1 2017 came out. So yeah, um, more classic cars they're saying and then of course those new tracks with Paul Ricard and also um, Hockenheim coming back in as well. So that'll be great to see in an expanded career mode as well. Yeah, a bit of talk that there'll be some long-awaited features that have been requested by um, those fans for many years, and that'll be intriguing to see what it is and the satisfaction. Clearly, there's all the licensing concerns, but once Liberty works around it and is more receptive to that tie-up, you can see that there'll be a lot more accessibility, and uh, maybe we'll get a an expanded roster there of classic circuits, cars, drivers, whatever it might be. Yeah, and just... that, that talk of the career mode being... a a lot more comprehensive. Maybe you'll get a lot more uh, customization to really feel as though it's not just some <sighs> generic um, click one, click option two, click option three, and the rest will play itself out <sighs> according to the the simulation. I'm already I'm already oozing now. Looking forward to it. I, I always do this with these type of games. It's just so. But yeah, if, as you say, like you know, with Liberty having the access there to getting more of that classic content and other content as well in there, that would just be amazing, I think, and truly having a immersive F1 game as well and just being able to, you know, choose whatever car you want, drive whatever track, and then, of course, classic drivers, get them in there as well, like we see with the MotoGP games. Oh, already looking forward to it now. Sounds thanks. Like just salivating. Well, thanks to you, yeah, for going <laughs> over those details. But anyway, let's move it on. And uh, our discussion for the week and um, to do with supercars and the news that came out that Nissan are going to be departing at the end of the season. They're going to be withdrawing their support from the Kelly Racing Team. Um, six years they've been in the sport since 2013 when Car of the Future came on board. They brought the Nissan Altima. Um, did poorly sales-wise in Australia, the Altima, and then, of course, um, on track, it didn't do much better. It's won four races across those six years. Uh, will it win another one before season's end? Who knows? And then, uh, in 2016, sorry, was the last time they won a race with Michael Caruso at Hidden Valley. And I guess the recent form that Rick Kelly showed at Phillip Island, where he scored back-to-back podiums, was not enough to convince Nissan in the end um, to recommit to the future. And then, yeah... The Altima, as a car, you can't actually buy it from a showroom anymore in Australia. So it shows you what a failure that that um, exercise was. So, you know, I guess great disappointment, isn't it, considering the uh, return that Ford's making next year with a Mustang and then also those uh, considerations being made for the Chevrolet Camaro to come in. Even more surprising than Nissan's departure, which had been... A long time coming, that idea that uh, the Kelly Racing Outfit will continue to run the Ultima, which will be a relic by next season. And really, you've got to hope that that's going to be the final season and they can sort out something in that more medium to long term whether another manufacturer or perhaps they do go back to Holden or Chevrolet Camaro, whatever iteration there might be from 2020. But, but clearly, they're going to lose that financial input from from the Nissan backing, and it will be intriguing to see where they um, shape up from it in one or two years' time. Well, yeah, so they're going to be driving the four cars next year, the four Altimas, and, of course, they've got three running in the Super 2 category with MW Motorsports, so um, the fact that they'll still be able to run those will be great, but as you say, there'll be relics 
um, by this time next year. And we've seen in the past, I guess, without manufacturer backing teams, I guess Ford probably got the better end of it with um, when they lost the manufacturer backing and then they won the championship in 2015 with um, ProDrive and then, of course, 2017 last year, Penske taking the team's championship and then also claiming that manufacturer's title as well. But on the other end of the stick, what happened to Erebus Motorsport? Having no support from Mercedes-Benz whatsoever, they struggled um, as a new team. And I guess the Kellys have a lot of experience and whatnot behind them. But yeah, you know, it'll start to show if they don't um, have that support and if uh, development goes backwards. Yeah, I guess uh, credit to them for trying. They they were quite ambitious getting Nissan on board. It was a big moment for supercars when they heralded that way. And we saw after hot on their heels we had um volvo and mercedes come in they departed long before nissan has and i guess at least they will retain that that presence in the ultimate next season but it hasn't worked out you wouldn't give it a pass mark on the the whole and um, as far as what they do in the future um they've got some decisions to make and who knows what the the driver lineup will be for for next season yeah well driver lineup could be the same but it's more so what will they be driving in the future and um nissan were quick to say as well that um that the gtr that many have been talking about that could come in because of the mustang and all that wasn't wasn't even a, on the table for consideration due to the fact that it as a car is irrelevant to what supercars is as a product and the fact that yeah you know it makes sense because the gtr is a three hundred thousand dollar sports car and going up against um sixty thousand or fifty thousand sixty thousand dollar um sedan cars or coupes you know it just has no relevance there so you know if nissan were to say stay i guess you know it would have been with the ultima perhaps evolving the engine or something or continuing but yeah the fact that you know it's not even sold here in australia anymore and you know um as i said before formula e nissan's focus seems to be uh solely on that now heading into the future apart from the handful of gt programs that they do around the world um formula e seems to be where they're putting their eggs into so you know we'll see what happens to them as a brand in the future but yeah it's a it's a loss to supercars to lose a manufacturer like that oh supercars loss and nissan's if they see the, the publicity coming from the others there in Ford and Holden is positive. They might be reconsidering and you don't want to close the book entirely on a return in the future. But for now, it's just a shame that they haven't jumped on the back of Ford's recommitment and possibly, yeah, the Camaro in the next year or so. Well, yeah, that's, I guess, the biggest disappointing part of it is the fact that, you know, with Ford having announced their returning with the manufacturer presence and bringing the Mustang and then, of course, General Motors um, announcing that they're going to assess the feasibility of having a Camaro here, um, you know, to then lose a manufacturer. It's just like we thought that um, we were taking a step towards the positive. So, yeah. But anyway, we'll still see those bit of diversity on the grid next year with those Altimas there. But it's just as long as they're not making up the numbers, that's probably the biggest concern. Yeah, you just want them to actually be in the, the thick of it. And uh, again, uh, you hope they're already working on 2020 and beyond. Yeah, you'd hope so, definitely. And I like the idea, what you said before, that perhaps 
they might go to Mustangs as well as as opposed to going back to the Commodore. Uh, sorry, to Camaros as opposed to going back to Commodores. Um, that would be great, as we said last week, where we have a diverse grid of GM cars. You know, we've got Walkinshaw and maybe the Kellys running Camaros, and then um, of course Triple Eight and all of its affiliates in the the Commodores. So yeah, it would be nice for diversity. But then having manufacturers, different manufacturers, is probably a key thing as well. Yeah, I think, uh, again, uh, it'll take a while for everything to shake itself out, but at least there's some positive inertia on the back of Ford and then the response from Holden or Chevrolet to, to see in the future. It'll work itself out. We've just got to be a bit patient once again. Yeah, just play the waiting game. So, anyway, we'll top things off anyway with our um, sporting moments of the week. And um, I guess, for me, it was hard to go past the announcement uh, the shock announcement, if you will, uh, made by rugby league future immortal Cameron Smith saying that he's going to be stepping down from all rep footy duties effective immediately. And this is only, what, two weeks away from State of Origin kicking off as well. So he won't be captaining um, the Queensland side for the first time in forever. And then, of course, um, won't be putting on the Australian uh, national side jumper either. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big loss, you could say. And I guess the way he came out and made the announcement and cited the fact that it's to do with his, you know, fatigue and he's at that stage in his career where, you know, he can't play as much as he has been. And I guess putting the emphasis back on, you know, Melbourne Storm, um, trying to achieve maybe one more premiership before he hangs up the boots. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big loss. Yeah, I'd second that on, on Smith um, say that uh, it's probably a good idea to make the call a bit more selfless now rather than going in half-heartedly and perhaps letting his team down um, to make the call now he's clearly uh, gone through that process where the camps will be underway very shortly and he doesn't want to put himself through what a 16th campaign and clearly a uh, Queensland, um, they're going to be scrambling for alternatives in uh, the short term, but at least that facilitates the next generation, just as New South Wales have. And um, it'd be fascinating to see Queensland, if they get up this season, it will be a really memorable one. And they'll, they'll be scrambling as well for a, a captain, whether it's a Billy Slater or you might get one of the, the next gen who's perhaps being... Oh, Greg Inglis has been talked about. Yeah, Boyd, so... Probably someone like that. But you'd say that uh, on the... The hole for Smith, at least he might extend his Storm career perhaps through to 2020 instead of uh, next season by by doing this and uh, take him well beyond 400 club games and chance of yet another premiership. You can see that he can he can go out and give it his all, not miss those four or five games middle of a of a season. And I guess it's yeah Queensland's loss, but Melbourne's gain. Yeah, and it's just I guess you know end of an era for Queensland too because last year Jonathan Thurston announced that he wouldn't be um, playing Origin or Rep Footy this year and then of course Cooper Cronk when he made the move to Sydney as well said that he won't be playing any more um, Origin Footy so the fact that you know um, three legends basically of Queensland in the modern era have all stepped down in the last uh, 12 months um, it's going to be a changing of the guard and as you said yeah you know um, I kind of liken this situation to Mercedes where you know they were able to win two across two separate sets of regulations can Queensland continue their dominance with two completely different teams because of course this year 
Um, Billy Slater, perhaps the only stalwart there from last year, I guess, who's got the most experience. And Greg Inglis obviously wasn't there last year because of his injury, but him coming back in. And then, of course, a host of new young guys coming in, perhaps, you know, with Cameron Munster, who's going to partner him in the halves. Will it be Michael Morgan or Ben Hunt, who's going to play number nine, which is Cameron Smith's position, you know, Will they stay there long term? It's it's a big a lot of big questions, and if they can pull off the win over New South Wales, who themselves will have a completely different team and exciting team by the sounds of it as well. Um, when you talk, when you hear Brad Fittler talk, the new coach, um, it's going to be a fascinating contest. Even though we've lost all these big names, yeah, it's a great leveler for for both outfits, and you can you can really say the starting afresh. It, it's almost uh, exciting in a way that. Um, you can just say that, that both teams have um, that talent on the field which will be the nucle- nucleus of the next 10 years or so and uh, really it closes the book on uh, that chapter which has gone on since the mid-2000s and for, for Kevin Walters as well, it can really craft it as his, his own team much as Brad Fittler's come in and um, started from scratch. Yeah, so it's going to be exciting. I can't wait. A couple of weeks away, State of Origin, so... Um, Apart from that, you know, uh, you know, I guess uh, Pakistan beating Ireland, well, Ireland having their first ever Test match as well. It's hard to believe it's taken them this long to get in themselves into the Test arena. So you know, they put up a great fight, and I'm sure we'll see them play well in the future as well. Um, you know, anything else stand out to you during the week, sporting wise? No, I think we've covered the bases. Yeah, there. and I guess we've got to wish this man some luck as well this weekend, contesting Great Ocean Road Marathon as well. So uh, hopefully, the uh, conditions don't blow you away <laughs> or <laughs> whatever. It's past, been, couple it, of times. yeah, um, it's been pretty uh, cold here. So you know, I spare a thought for you getting up that early to have to do the run, especially. You, on the seaside as well so um hopefully yeah whatever your mile your target is for the weekend you can achieve and coming off melbourne last year personal best thinking of doing better um here at great ocean road are you going to wait till melbourne for that to beat that personal best oh certainly at the great ocean road a personal best there i don't know about overall it always depends more so on conditions than uh, personal fitness at the time it's a bit of a different race so i just hope to be here in in one piece with some positive news uh, come next week yeah we'll look forward to hearing all about it um next week when we get set to preview the monaco grand prix but until then we will wish this man good luck for that and uh, hope you guys have a good weekend and see you next time till then